0: guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald, this is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. So in this podcast, I always ask guests, do they think Dubai and the Middle East is an emerging market? In this episode, I didn't ask that question because everything Philip from Magnet talked about was the the region as an emerging market. It's fascinating, it's like a summary of the previous 130 or so episodes. Uh, Philip's an excellent speaker and he's also created a hugely successful, uh, you know, really great success story in Magnet. Um, Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week I'm really excited to be joined by a media tech success story out of Dubai. Philip Bahoshi, who is the founder and CEO of Magnet. That Magnet is a platform where venture capitalists and entrepreneurs can come together, connect and gain insight. They are the first and leading venture data platform supporting investors and founders uh, with research insights from across the emerging uh, venture startup ecosystems across Middle East and North Africa, but also Turkey and Pakistan. Uh, so good morning, Philip. good morning. thank you very much for having me. and thanks for joining. Uh, so we haven't really sat down and had a conversation in a long time but uh, we both our company and yours started off in Astrolabs absolutely in, in, in JLT a really a, a really uh, great environment for places to start and I remember when you were starting and it's amazing to see how prominent magnet has come. thank you. How can you how did it how, where did that idea come from?
1: Look, I mean the journey's been quite a roller coaster. Um, originally, I had done my MBA at INSEAD, and long story short, I did all the entrepreneurial programs. And one of the things that we did was this startup bootcamp, um, which was a weekend where you pitch on a you start on a Friday and then you pitch to investors on a Sunday, and it was all intensive training on all the theory around what entrepreneurship and how to set it up was. And one of the things that I struggled with was an exercise they asked, which is to reach out to alumni to get feedback on the concept that you were building. Um, while there was an internal platform uh, looking to connect you to the alumni, what you realize is you're reaching out to people that may be interested in your idea. And I thought, well, why isn't there a platform that people who are already intricately interested in the concepts can reach out to the founder? So actually, true story of Magnet 1.0 was it was a Tinder for startups, whereby it was a very simple card allowing founders to put up their ideas with basic, basic information. And then people from the community would come, whether they were investors, co-founders, service providers to connect. Pivot, 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 a little bit of an evolution of time. And we're now very much focused on data, data analytics. While it was always the reason for starting the company, the, the hook was the kind of. Um, the, the swiping concept we 've really doubled down now on data research, access to information, um, which is what we 've now grown into
0: amazing well it seems as if i, I wouldn 't from the outside i wouldn 't have known that there was many pivots. It does seem that it was from the start magnet was very invested in the part of the startup ecosystem and but I guess a uh, question is, uh, where did the name come from? <laughs> if you'd like. So
1: actually, it came was speaking to a friend of mine. Um, I, I was very dear having spoken and learned a little bit about the marketing concepts. I was, I needed a two syllable name. I mean, at the time, it was very fashionable. The Tinders and Uber and, and et cetera at the light. Like. And, um, a friend of mine was doing marketing. And I kind of brainstormed with him some concepts and the original names were all very investor tech um, uh, platform pitch etc and he said look be creative open your mind up and um, the original idea was to connect people together mm. so he came up and I, the other requirement had, had to have a dot-com domain um, and so he said well have you heard of this magnet thing and i was like mm. and i started socializing it with friends and family and Everyone's like, no, it's stupid, it's silly. And then the guy said one of the pieces of recommendations that I always say, forget what everybody else thinks. You're the founder. You're going to sell the story. It's your name. It's your identity. Let it sit with you and see how it percolates because Mm -hmm. you'll have a logo, you'll have a punchline, you'll have everything around that. And at the time I was like, I really like the name. Nobody else did, but I was like, I I really like the concept connecting. It's spelt wrong. It's not magnet. It's a magnet. Um, and so it's catchy and people will have controversy around it. Mm. And the more I kind of let it sink in, get a logo with it, get the dot com. And it was funny, I used to do these email updates. And at the time it was I'm building a website. Then I just changed it to Magnet is going to be doing this. Mm. And then people started liking it. And of course, when you launch, there were trolls. People didn't like it. Some people liked it. Mm. But with time, it just became synonymous to connection and in the end, data c- gathering mm for
0: the platform. Hmm. And we can see the logo for those watching, not listening, it's, it looks like it's got a… The, two magnets. Yeah. It's two magnets connected together. Okay. Amazing. So, um, you know, without asking too many questions on uh, the entrepreneur choices for a second, what what was the journey like? like what did you do at the start, apart from the bootcamp sessions? What were you doing in terms of the product, the next uh, MVP that you…
1: I still think I made all the mistakes that I was advised not to do, and I still did them. I had a niche market, um, non-monetized, sole founder, um, just a huge amount of determination and hustle to believe that this is something that was needed. Mm. Um, Paid an outsourced development team. So literally, if you had a checklist of all the things you shouldn't do to have a startup, I, I, I hit all of them. But what I identified was this lack of information in the Middle East. Um, I used to be at Oliver Wyman, management consultancy firm, and I remembered that while there was Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters, and the likes, there was one portal that you could get, which was Zawia, here in the region, Mm. which was company information. And it was the only source of information. In the end, that gets acquired by Thomson Reuters because they come in and they realize that the region is very challenging. So the determination was, how can you capture this information use it, and then make it useful for potential clients. And the reason I say I pivoted, originally it was an MBA platform. We pivoted to the Middle East. We went from a connection platform to an open source. Sorry, M&A platform originally? No MBA. MBA. So it was meant to be connecting MBA entrepreneurs to MBA alumni. And everyone said that's too niche, it's too difficult, it's too complicated, you can't do that.
0: Uh, So a Facebook for MBA grads. Correct, exactly.
1: So then we moved it to a Middle East, platform, still connecting, then we moved it to an open source directory, and really where we began to get traction, and uh, I I remember my Medhat, who was Aventus, who now has been acquired uh, by a Silicon Valley-based startup, was at Astrolabs, and she could see that I was really flustered and frustrated, and said, look, Philip, I don't think you realize you've got 2,000 startups on this platform. Mm. Nobody has this information. How about you create a chart or a graphic or an information piece around the data? And I was like, well, I don't know how, except I was a consultant, so I used Canva. And we produced a two-page PDF based on the data we had on the platform and then just pushed it out on social media. And all of a sudden, people began to take notice to this. Mm. And then two months later, we did the same thing, but the investment landscape for... The UAE and MENA in 2017, I think, was the first one that was published, Mm. that got traction. And then all of a sudden, the light bulb clicked that it's the data is important, but being able to use that, visualize and do analytics on top of it was Mm. where there was value. Mm. And that's where we doubled down into data, analytics, research, directory, uh, and et cetera. And so we've effectively moved in that direction ever since.
0: And what sort of numbers do you have now across the board? So how many startups are on the platform? How many employees do you have? Uh, Those type of things. So we
1: have 21,000 startups listed on the platform. We
0: now cover,
1: as of this month, Middle East, Africa. So we're now covering Sub-Saharan Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, which we didn't do before, Pakistan and Turkey. And for us, the sweet spot is the emerging market landscape. Mm. There's over 6,500 investment transactions that have happened uh, in the region that we track. All information on founders, investors, amounts uh, of the transactions. Um, there's over 1500 plus investors that have made investments in those startups that you get the full profile of information and we've now published over 150 research content pieces and our team is still very lean with 20 people um, but we're currently hiring 15 so if anybody's looking wow. or interested in the startup analytical place uh, space we're, we're, we're hiring aggressively now and our goal is once we've consolidated and captured that to continue to expand into the emerging
0: market geographies. Mm, that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> it really is because, you know, uh, what, as you described it, because you know, what you set out to do is one of the most daunting things for a startup, which is a platform. And the platform needs, it sounds great in theory, but it needs things from both sides. Yeah. It needs uh, you know, whatever the platform is It needs buyers and sellers to come. And that's, you know, that is the hardest thing to do. Not only do you need good tech, but you need good marketing. You need so many things to get right. And also, you know, things that that don't hit it straight away, eventually they fade away, yet you've persisted. Magnet has, you know, not only has it been ever present at the kind of pre-COVID conferences and everything like that, but in terms of the messaging and and, uh, how you've, presented this data, it has become a really kind of uh, one of the most important data cogs in the investment ecosystem in the region. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, look, it it
1: took a while to work that out. And COVID, while obviously a horrific situation, may have been somewhat of a blessing in disguise for us because we were running around in all directions trying to just get magnet out there and when you have to focus on monetization survival as a company you very quickly work out well who's paying what do they want and really in the last 12 months we've refined the product so that it matches the demand of the clients um interestingly people i don't think realize that our, our clients are not necessarily the vcs although we have many notable VCs paying for the platform as a subscription, but governments, corporates, big tech, um, service providers, all of whom we know that the ecosystem right now is hot. Not only Dubai, the UAE, MENA, but emerging markets. I can tell you the global ecosystem for venture capital investment grew 2.5x in the last five years. Mm. The emerging market space has grown 10x. Mm obviously coming from a much lower base than us and europe but it's growing exponentially governments are interested in this space Um, corporates are interested in this space digitalization and digital transformation is very hot but when they want to understand what's happening in that landscape data is a key decision maker Mm. Um, and that's where we're trying to support those people and going back to the product it's not just about the news it's the data that helps them so our goal is to help inform
0: decision makers using that information so your cust the products your customers as well as people who the things that the Premium, Freemium model, you release some of the reports, the data, and then the product is a subscription model. Do people sign up and do they choose which reports they're interested in, or how does it work?
1: So basically there's two sides. Um, so everything I'm talking about is building the SaaS product online. The Freemium model is a little bit like a LinkedIn. You can go on LinkedIn, create your profile. You can actually apply to over 100 investors using your profile as a startup. The investors can accept these applications on the platform. That's all free. Where you start paying for the benefits of the platform is the functionality. So LinkedIn Premium, it's the filters, it's Mm. the identification. The profiles don't have all of the information, it's limited. You can access the rest of the information. We have integrated charts of all of the data that's built on the platform that is manipulated. If you want to know how many female founders there are in the UAE that have received funding, how much they've raised. All of that charting information is available as part of a subscription, as well as exporting the data. So many of our clients, consultants, governments want exports of the raw data. That's part of the subscription. And every quarter we're committed now to publishing about 10 research quarterly reports on five leading geographies. So, MENA, Pakistan, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Egypt for the time being as well as the five industries broken down by those geographies for people that are really trying to understand the trends. Who are the hottest startups? Who are the investors? How much is coming from local capital versus international capital? Mm -hmm. And all of that is built on the platform. No Excel spreadsheets, which we used to do before. All of that's built on the proprietary platform itself.
0: Amazing, right, so to break it down those two parts, so I have an investor deck, I'm looking for angel round, seed round, I can put it onto your platform, create my company profile, and other people anywhere in the region or outside the region uh, can see that and can contact me. Absolutely, and can give me money potentially. Wonderful.
1: Well, <laughs> Google's running. Yeah. Google's running an accelerator program, and they're interested in all the media companies. Yeah. They could filter through media companies that are say um, raise one million dollars, located in this location, etc. Identify. You can even contact all of the uh, founders. Either through the platform or you can access their information on the platform.
0: So, in one way, uh, and forgive the reference, but that's a little bit like Crunchbase. Correct. So, they have a platform where all the startups are there, it says which year they raise their money, and it kind of stops there. Correct. And you've taken it, you're not just doing one of those, you're also really doubling down on the data side and the research side. Correct. Yeah. How do you do the research?
1: So look, I mean, the research now is all integrated. We've we've um, invested in a Tableau platform for the time being, and actually the next step is to integrate it onto the platform. All of it is a massive data platform of line items of transactions. The research, based on the research team and the ideas that we have, tracks certain key indicators. Evolution of investment, um, the industry breakdown of the different geographies or the geographical breakdown of the different industries, who are the most active investors by ticket size, who are the most invested startups by ticket size, how much is coming from, so it's, it's all theoretical based. And we speak to our customers. What are the key questions that they are asking for? The real holy grail, which we'll look to try and crack next year, is valuations. I think an important point to try and understand is the Middle East lacks data. Mm. What we've tried to do is solve for that problem. The truth of the matter is, if you go to the US or Europe, the company house in the UK or Delaware or the SEC has the information. Mm. The international platforms actually pull this data through APIs. Mm. Here, there is no such platforms. Mm. And if they are, it's 18 countries and different geographies. What we're doing is consolidating it into a single platform, cleaning it up, either gathering the data from the individuals or uh, the investors or public sources and then making it available for potential clients. So Mm. really it's the lack of data that is the first step, it's the research that we put on top which is the second step of Mm. it.
0: Interesting. So uh, the people who work for you, your your team, are they uh, researchers, are they journalists, are they economic students and uh, how do they go about their work?
1: It's really a mix. I mean, the, the research, actually what we're doubling down now is on data scientists mm. because the research side, is it's, it's conversational. It's trying to understand the trends and etc. So we have one or two researchers that are pure researchers from that perspective. The trick is to get the data scientists because the data science behind it allows us to do more manipulation of that information. Another plan for next year, a lot of our uh, data is historical. Our goal is to start going into predictive. Once you can start going into predicting trends, for instance, e-commerce, the first mover advantage, the first industry to, to, to peak in all emerging markets. Mm. But once that's been consolidated, you're now seeing huge rounds, but less transactions. Okay. FinTech, huge number of transactions, but earlier stage. So the next wave. What we want to try and do is predict the next waves of activity that's happening wow. in that space. Yeah. And not to forget that we also have a newsletter. One of the key things that we've built is the newsletter. We're not a media platform in the purest form like yourselves and many others. We use the newsletter very much to keep people up to date, Mm. referencing third parties, using our own research, referencing, specifically focus on investment news. But it's a great hook to get people engaged. And ultimately, if they see value in the newsletter, then they can become a client of the actual platform itself.
0: Definitely, that's it's one of my, multi, my touch points with Magnus. I read the newsletters when I catch up with the weekend, but I read them all. And but, that's completely free. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> um, it's great service. But so just a little bit on, you touched on something quite exciting and interesting there, the valuations. Yeah. So just in a general, so moving into kind of talking about the ecosystem, I know you mentioned amazing stats about how it's growing in emerging markets, but so how are, how are companies, for people who aren't familiar. How are startups generally evaluated? And then in terms of a product feature, um, how can you go about that? I think, you know, uh, an example is in the real estate market. I think an, an American company, is it Twilio or Zwillow? So they did uh, this and it became something really sticky. once followers or people who wanted to know the price of their house in Beverly Hills, they would be able to go on and see it. And I think Bayes have done something similar. So I think it's an amazing uh, feature. But A, how, how is it done sort of uh, in general with uh, with VCs and how's it, how it done? And then B, how can you go about doing this? So I think
1: this could be a whole one hour lecture, <laughs> but let me summarize At least my experience. Number one, I'm not an investor. So um, it's really important to speak to an investor to get their mindset. Having had many conversations with investors, I think at the early stage, it's important to note venture capital is not charity. Uh, I remember the early stages, especially when at Astrolabs, there was a lot of frustration as to why aren't investors investing in my company? Um, It's not a charity, they don't have to, it's their choice. And the trick is to understand the mindset of a VC their goal is for exponential returns. Otherwise, they'll invest in the stock markets or or banks or real estate and etc. In the Middle East, real estate is really an asset class of choice. So when you're looking at venture capital, you're looking for multiples on the investment that you're putting in. Now, then you need to backward engineer. What does that mean? To get multiples, you need mass scale, mass monetization, a very strong team that can implement an idea is really only as good as the implementi- implementation of that team and a product that is actually a solution of a problem not a product for the sake of creating something you think people like mm. that's the that's the kind of four elements that for any person that's trying to start up is to really understand it's not about doing a lifestyle business it's not about like, for the venture capital space. Again, of course, it's great to do those businesses. But in the VC space, when you look at the likes of Kareem and Souk, which are the two standout stories for now, although you're hearing bigger investment rounds than they had, ultimately, their goal was to get into as many countries as possible, into as many people's handsets as possible, with as many transactions that are happening and being monetized on a sticky and regular basis. Mm. If you achieve that, then you can achieve the valuations of growth if it's a sustainable profitable growing business that's not venture capital that's a different type of business and i think that's something that has really changed the the real phenomena that you're beginning to see now is one vcs and the investment community is becoming more and more educated on what it takes two you're seeing more exits which means realized returns not um theoretical returns for the VCs and the third is many of these startups have created founders who are now starting companies that have worked for these companies. So that Mm -hmm. Kareem Mafia, the PayPal Mafia, the the, the management teams and the employees that have got their stock options and got those realized returns are now creating those type of companies Mm -hmm. and they're solving for problems that they can actually find as solutions with technology. Guys, I'm Casey Fitzgerald, and I'm Simran Gupta from Love in Dubai, your go-to source for everything local news. Be sure to watch the Love in Dubai show for the latest on what's going on in this city and beyond, with exclusive interviews every single morning. We go live every day at 8:30 a.m. sharp and 9:30 a.m. on weekends. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Find us at Love in Dubai.
0: Amazing. I think you described the kind of lots. I think you mentioned off air that you came here in two thousand and seven. You've described how the region has evolved in yeah. terms of, you know, the original kind of risky people with with BC, uh, and now that they have realised some of those uh, exits or created liquidity, then a lot, the next kind of wave is coming. Um, is that how you describe it, or you know, w- when we're talking about Magnet founded in which year? So, uh, two thousand and sixteen. Sixteen. So. Uh, when, you know, What's it been like as well, like you mentioned e-commerce as well, what are the other trends that have really kind of taken off in the last five years? So the way I look at it is in, in, in any emerging market,
1: investors are still trying to work out what is best to invest in, and when there are proven models that exist elsewhere, which is no criticism. I don't like the idea that people criticize copycats, because what happens is that you localize it to the market that you're in. But in reality, infrastructure, given everything that I said, which is huge opportunity, specific pain point, monetizable, getting into people's hands or or, or usage, tends to be the first industry of choice because it's been replicated from other markets and then applied. So the ones that saw the first growth, e-commerce, which in my opinion, is an infrastructure play because ultimately, what is successful in e-commerce, while it's the choice that they're providing, but it's getting it to your home. Mm. There were many companies that provided you choice, but you needed to pick it up from a PO box or from the mail, they're not successful. The ones that got it to your house Mm. were the ones that succeeded. Then it was people, Kareem, all of the transports, truckers, the the food, Insta shops, et cetera. All of those were the first wave. Mm. As you start seeing the, the um, success of those, investors then move to other infrastructure pain points. FinTech, when people get excited about FinTech, and we know the numbers, let's be clear, they're not AI blockchain crypto solutions in the region, albeit that there are some. They're payment infrastructure solutions. Okay. Money from here, money to here. Um, people transferring remittance payments. Those type of solutions are the ones that are seeing the most investment. Mm. Uniphonic that received 150 million yesterday, SoftBank, that is people communication, X to Y communication platforms, SMS, messaging and and the likes. So those infrastructure solutions in an environment where the Middle East, while it's continuing to develop, is 18 geographies broken down, different uh, demographics, huge bureaucracy are the solutions that are getting the investment. COVID did provide opportunities for healthcare, education. You saw some of those um, increased in demand where there was a need for digitalization of those solutions, albeit they haven't been proven success stories for investors to double down in. But those industries are becoming more and more interesting. As investors see returns on their investment, their risk appetite to go into sustainability, ESG, um, agri-farming, into other more creative solutions will be the next wave that we'll cover. But to date, they've historically been infrastructure plays.
0: Fascinating. Uh, Philip, we're we're sitting in Dubai and a lot of these stories have come from here. I'll ask one sort of, uh, you know, maybe a gossipy question. Why, why do you think, and it's to do with competition, but why do you think uh, we hear of Angami as an Abu Dhabi-based company or Swivel as a Dubai-based company and, you know, what, what's happening there?
1: So I'll leave you to ask the founders the question, okay. but I think, <laughs> I think what's fair is that, interestingly, let's do a little bit of history. So originally the growth of entrepreneurship in the region was out of Jordan. Uh, and Lebanon, because from a tech talent perspective, very strong university base, very strong interest from a government perspective, many of the founders were, were creating those companies at lower costs than you would in potentially the UAE or other GCC countries. And so historically, we're talking about the, the 2000s, many of the Fadi Aramex, um, Souk, Maktoub were Jordanian, uh, Syrian, Lebanese type founders. Mm. In 2013-14, I believe, there was a celebration of entrepreneurship was, which was spearheaded by IMF, World Bank, support to try and drive um, entrepreneurship in the Middle East to diversify economies. Mm. And the UAE embraced the concept of digitalization of their economy and tried to push in the development of infrastructure, setting up um, the ability of companies to receive funding, encouraging the growth of what The UAE, as an example, is a perfect hub for networking in the region. Interesting to also note, many of the founders in the UAE, we did a study a couple of years ago, are expats who worked in consulting and finance. Magnus Mudassar, McKinsey Consultants, um, the likes that have come from those type of industries.
0: And, and you are set one up of them as well. I'm one of them <laughs> as well.
1: Who set up tech solutions for problems they had identified in their professional careers that they looked to try and solve for. And given many of them were located in the UAE for their professional careers, it was a perfect starting place. And at Astrolabs, you would see many people that came from those type of professions that saw incubators, co-working spaces, and hubs that allow them the first port of call to set up. A huge amount of work has been done and continues to be done to try and make the ease of setting up within the UAE uh, uh, easier. But it's also now taking place across the region. The three big hubs from an investment perspective currently are UAE, even within Dubai and Abu Dhabi, both creating their own tech hubs and the other Emirates. Saudi Arabia, given the opening and the initiatives that have been done with MBS and Vision 2030, is really looking to accelerate the technology. And Egypt. Now, interestingly, across all three of them, they have different strengths. Um, the size of the market in Egypt and the low cost of uh, people allows for huge opportunities mm. uh, for companies to scale into. Saudi Arabia, huge government initiatives, big population. The UAE is uniquely positioned as a connector across the whole of the region, as well as having... Um, original startup founders, there's a hub that's been created, a strong uh, transport link across the region to the East, West, Africa, and the likes. So each of them in their own right have positive strengths. To your point, again, I leave you to speak to the founders, but ultimately what you realize is that you can have multiple jurisdictions. One thing that I'm very opinionated about it, to be a successful company like Kareem, and Rami, Swivel, you have to operate in all of these geographies. Mm. Where your headquarter is, is a matter of decision of the founder and whatever incentives are in place for them. But ultimately, it's not like they stopped operating in Lebanon or Egypt. They're still operating in all of these jurisdictions. Um, And to be successful, not only should you have a mindset of being operational at a regional level, you should look to go into emerging markets, if Mm. not globally, Mm. to be successful. So ultimately, now it's just... Uh, some of the headlines that are happening, but to be operational, you should be looking at all of them. And interestingly, just to add to that, I was on the STEP conference yesterday with Pakistan. Through Magnet, we've now started reporting on Turkey, Pakistan, to include Africa. It's fascinating to see the interest of Saudi and UAE based startups operating looking to operate in Pakistan and Pakistani startups considering investment from these uh, countries, if not looking to operationalize and move into those countries Mm. as well. Once you break down those silos, really the opportunity to become a sizable and scalable startup becomes a lot more
0: interesting. Wow, amazing summary. Again, (laughs) thank you. Um, If this is a a teaser of what's available on Magnus, then I think people would be interested. No, but Philip, what what you said there as well, kind of, matches up and is consistent with your comments earlier around why VCs might be interested in, in the emerging market, but what I'm getting is a bit of a trend in terms of some s- founders in Dubai might say, hey, well, I'm choosing Dubai to go global, but actually the kind of narrative, the success stories is that the solutions are for this region. It's for, you know, w- whatever we call it, whatever acronym we call it, it's it's the sort of Arabic speaking 20 something countries. This region. And that's what we've seen, right? So it doesn't, So it's consistent with, uh, but to, the question really is, uh, is the return there for this region? Are they seeing those sort of multiples uh, by focusing on, are you able to go with your deck and go, I'm just gonna focus on the me- Middle East, menas or those kind of neighboring countries. And is that attractive enough for regional investors and for international investors? Again, I think it's for an investor to be
1: able to speak to the actual multiples. But I think that what you have seen when you look at the Souk and Kareem's is historically, because now you're seeing new instruments, the SPACs, the IPOs, the likes, and et cetera. Historically, what these guys have been able to do is really capture a market that has been acquired. Mm. Because an Amazon and Uber have decided, you know what? They've done all the hard work for us. Let's go in and acquire them. And there are many other examples of that. I mean, Aventus is an example. You saw Harmonica, which was acquired by Match.com. Many examples, Instashop. And so that has been the trend. Now, to speak on the actual multiples, I assume that they were interesting, especially for early stage investors that took the bets at the angel seed series A stage. I can't speak to the later rounds, but one would have to assume as these companies continue to grow by geography and grow by um, product and consumer base, they must be interesting for investors, otherwise they wouldn't be investing. One trend we are seeing specifically is more international investors investing in the region than ever before. Sequoia Capital, big name, made their first investment in fintech in this space. You've had uh, NEA, you've had Tiger, NASPERS. Um, so First round capital, I mean, there's many international players, as well as the accelerator programs that are setting up, 500 startups have uh, just announced that they're moving, number one, they rebranded to 500 Global, but they're also setting up headquarters in Riyadh uh, with an interest for the region. That international interest in the region shows that there's appetite. And let's be clear. The arbitrage opportunity is also relatively high. While we talk about the valuations in the region really increasing over the last 12 to 18 months, Mm. they're a lot more suppressed than they are in the US and and China and and Southeast Asia. So for those investors, the bang for buck potential um, exit is higher than it would be in a much more competitive US or European market. But there, the technology and the development of those products are completely different. So Mm. you're playing in different playing fields. But again, the ecosystem is still relatively nascent. Mm. I mean, those ecosystems were not developed in 10 years. They were many, many generations of growth. Mm. And I think we're now entering the second generation or into the second 10-year growth of the ecosystem. And the success stories coming out of the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the wider ecosystem are really speaking to that
0: interesting so investors who look at this region either here or from abroad are not only looking at the product they're also kind of looking at the dynamics of the emerging market and to put an example on something you mentioned the Ngami listing was valued at 200 and something million yet spotify is a 60 billion dollar company yep so there's gaps there which is very interesting Uber's acquisition of kareem it was Mm.
1: valued at Two three billion dollars, but they go and list on the stock markets for uh, many multiples of that as yeah. well. Um, Amazon, the same thing uh, 680 million or 580, um, depending on which number you want to take. And yet, Amazon is Amazon, so Fair. yes, it, it there, there is still a um, discount for the region, okay. but for the founders that are setting up these companies, they're great exits, they're yeah, great yeah, stories, they're, they're great returns especially for the original founders.
0: And uh, so what is this region as an emerging market compared with others? But also, t- tagging on a separate question, uh, what's driving the numbers you mentioned earlier? Are we part of the kind of global liquidity or is it something that's uh, unique to here, that there is a-, a wave of momentum and energy for startups?
1: I think it's twofold. So it was interesting when you look at the data that we produce for the emerging markets of the last 18 months. We know that it takes about 9 to 12 months to raise an investment round um, because it's a lot of conversations. It doesn't happen overnight. Last year, Q3, Q4 were the lowest quarters of venture capital investment in four or five years. In this region? In this region that we tracked. So namely, when COVID hits in March, the actual impact came later in the year because it's got that lag. 2021 happens, and clearly the investor appetite returns. Valuations may have been a little bit dampened. Um, Startups are growing. As I said last year, basically, many companies would have focused on survival, created new products, continued traction, come to raise funds. Then you talk about the global phenomena. Globally, it was a record year of investment already to date. So it's not just a MENA region. It's a global phenomena. But here in the region, Many of the LPs that invested in the fund of funds uh, and, and in different VCs have liquidity. Stock markets are at record highs, so people are wanting to diversify. Um, angel investors have spent many months sitting at home and disposable income is higher. So across the board, I think it's a financial benefit. It's a reserve of cash that people didn't want to invest in a, in a crisis last year that they're now looking to deploy. Government's continuing to stimulate and, and drive that behavior, but it's also a global phenomenon. So the more international people that are also coming into the space is also driving that mm-hmm. growth. I mean, these 150 million investments that you've heard for both Ketopi and, and, and uh, uh, Uniphonic mm-hmm. are SoftBank. They're, they're mm-hmm. not regional investors. They're international investor investments that are coming into that space. And, and so there's that also. That's the more regional effect, the international interest and more family offices mm. looking to invest in this space given the exits that they're hearing
0: exactly oh, so that's a really interesting way of putting it that you know the the yeah those results and the success stories are going beyond the startup space they're bringing in, and we've seen uh, some of the semi-stake companies listing parts of their businesses in in KSA and here so it's actually you know what you're reporting on is although focus is also part of the wider sort of business landscape and environment for for that. And and to that point, what's missing? You know, we've seen uh, exits, we've seen US listings. When are we going to get startups on the Tadwal or the, or the uh, Dubai financial markets or Abu Dhabi?
1: Look, I think that's oh. a great question. I mean, I don't have a particularly strong view on that because I, I don't know what it takes, the requirements. I mean, I think that listings is, is challenging because the traditional listing of a company is a profitable company, track record, financial stability, huge amount of work and cost needs to be done into the auditing and the legal uh, around that. And traditionally they've been SME or offline businesses that are large. Tech companies that are venture capital hyper growth don't tend to be profitable. They tend to have um, loose management team and growth and, and etc. cetera. Um, and, and so that's one barrier. Uh, the second barrier is which which listing do you go to? And I think there needs to be a certain effort of even consolidation across these listings so that there is one listing of choice. Do you go to Saudi? Do you go to UAE? Within the UAE, is it Dubai or Abu Dhabi? Almost a consolidation and a pick of one to double down into for Egypt, tech specifically, yeah. um, even Egypt. And, and so I think there is a lot of, effort. I know personally I'm on the Dubai Future Council and the Dubai uh, Digital Council here and there's discussion of this but it it requires some reform and change as well as investor appetite for a company to list. So the SPAC options which is a new trend is one that people are picking backing off and and provides them a new opportunity for liquidity. Second one is just secondaries. A lot of Founders and employees want liquidity as well as early stage investors, so is there a mechanism that can allow for liquidity of those investors that doesn't require a full listing, but Mm -hmm. to have a bit more liquidity in the space to show returns to investors and the founders and the teams? Um, to get more buy-in into that space, so mm. it's 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 definitely a challenge that needs to try and be resolved. For.
0: So, so if you were to describe what's needed in part of the ecosystem, there's some of the challenges that need to be Correct.
1: fixed. I don't think it's number one. I mean, we were discussing it yesterday at the Dubai uh, Council meeting. I think that talent remains the number one challenge for startups. Number one, you need to have people with mindset. It's not a corporate job. It's not a nine-to-five job. I'm I'm sure you can speak to this. Like, You definitely need a certain mindset. And the more people that are coming out of other successful startups, you're, you're seeing the growth of that talent. The second is it's difficult to acquire talent in the region. I mean, visa, insurance, um, restrictions on real estate, and etc. It needs to, uh, more than anything else. We were discussing how probation periods and potentially letting go of people needs more flexibility. Mm. Otherwise, you're always trying to find the perfect hire from mm. that perspective. Also, when you speak to the likes of much larger organisations than me, they want to attract the best talent from abroad—Germany, London, US. Their salaries are one problem, but next is cost of living, education, uh, residency, citizenship, the ability for them to have a place to call home long-term. So the talent problem, which is the key driver, a company is only as good as the talent that you can acquire, Mm. is the one that needs potentially the most focus. Then it's bureaucracy, which we kind of discussed, and, and regulation, to the extent whereby any given market is relatively small. If you are able to operate across the whole of the GCC, MENA, Africa, using a single license without having to set up within each of the jurisdictions, that scalability play becomes a lot more interesting. Mm. But again, that goes well above my pay level to be able to try and solve for. Um, But again, the funding and the, the exit potential is the goal or the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: It's really interesting to listen to you, Philip, because you come at it for, with a lens of the, the startup space. Some people might say on the talent, yes, there might be challenges with talent, but there's a lot of people looking for jobs. Therefore, you know, so it's, it's really different perspective. It's good to listen to. Um, coming to the end of the time, uh, what's next for Magnet?
1: So for us, like I said, doubling down on the data piece, I think that really for us to be able to educate um, stakeholders to make informed decisions is core. And we're very client-centric around that. Uh, there's basically two paths that we'll continue to take. Um, the effective launch of Africa, which will be happening in the next couple of weeks, uh, into new geographies. And we've already identified Eastern Europe, Southeast Asia, potentially LATAM as the next geographies. So from a benchmarking perspective, in summary, It's useful having the international platforms, but if they're not covering this, you're not comparing apples to apples, you're Mm. comparing orange to apples. The second is the depth of the data. We still are relatively high level in the information that we're gathering. We discussed valuations, we want to talk about people, understanding what the people impact is on the different startups. We're going to be covering venture debt, the LPs, who are the LPs in the, the, the funds. So it's going to be the depth of the data And the product, which effectively is what we're trying to build as Magnet, the SaaS product, to enable people to manipulate the data in the way they they see fit. Mm. Currently, we're telling them what we think that they want to know. We want to enable them to manipulate the data in the way that
0: they need it. Amazing. And will you raise, did you, you raise some funds originally? We raised the funds
1: originally. We are in the process of discussing different options different and options. wouldn't be surprised to accelerate the growth that there will be a cash injection.
0: Uh, amazing. And how do you position the company? You know, is it a data company, a media company? Yeah. No, we're a data platform. So we are effectively
1: a, a venture capital data platform for emerging markets.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you Philip. very much it's for having me. Really fascinating, and we could listen to you a lot more. So it would be good to have you on again sometime. It'll be my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Anyone who's interested in startups, venture capital investing, either you work for one or you want to be part of one, uh, Magnus and Philip uh, have a great view on all that area. So. Uh, we will definitely be in touch with Philip again, but it was a really interesting conversation. Uh, so yeah, next week, we're speaking to two companies, two more startups, uh, Craig Stevens, the CEO of Doobie Cars on Sunday, live at 11am, and Talal Bayat, uh, the founder of Bezat, uh, next Thursday, 11am. This is also obviously on demand on the podcast, Search Dubai Works, wherever you get your audio from. Uh, as you're listening right now but please do subscribe Uh, and also you might not know but smashy goes live every day of the week uh, from sunday to thursday from our dubai studio with the business and tech news with our presenter and producer hala bassam you can watch that on smashy tv socials but also you can subscribe for our streaming platform you can download the app on ios and android and it's a seven-day free trial, and we'd appreciate any feedback on that platform. I'd like to say a special thank you to our, both our producers today, Shahir Al-Kindi and Ali Baba. Thanks for producing the show and to speak to you next week.